Thank you, Alan. Been in my life. <laughs> this thing wobbles up and down. <laughs> I don't need it there. That's a lovely chorus, isn't it? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And that's what we want. We cry out to the Lord to pour his spirit upon us. But then we read the next line of this chorus. And it says, break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Breaking, melting, molding are not easy verbs. To break something, it cracks, it shatters, it breaks into all sorts of pieces. That's not what we often see. Well, I think we mean when we sing Spirit of the Living God fall afresh on me. Melt me requires heat. Do we like that? Mold me. That's going to take us in a place that we might not want because we won't be as we were before. Mold me. But then it says, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. So let's just sing it once more, just thinking about what we're actually asking the Lord to do. You know, sometimes we ask the Lord to fall afresh on us as we are, but the Lord wants to change us. He wants to make us into what he wants us to be. So we're just going to sing quietly, this chorus again, and I hope I start us off on the right note, okay? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. verses and I'm going to read the verses that refer to the Holy Spirit in verses 14 uh, in John 14 15 and 16 these are the last words really that Jesus said to his disciples so we're going to look at, at these things today so I'm going to start with John 14 verses 16 to 20 and verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And if we move on to verses 25 and 26 of the same chapter, Jesus says... <coughs> I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. 
And John 15, verses 26 and 27, 15, verses 26 and 27 says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. And the last words we're going to read are John 16, verses 5 to 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Wonderful words from Jesus about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when I was sort of reading about this, I, I looked up, I read um, Billy Graham's book. And in his book, he started his book about the Holy Spirit by saying, Man has two great needs. One is forgiveness and one is goodness. That is the ability to live as God wants us to. And he said, God answered the cry for forgiveness at Calvary. Because it's there that we've been reconciled to God. It is there that we were justified. That God can see us as having no sin. And our standing is secure before him. And it is there that we got forgiveness and cleansing. So our first great need for, for, for forgiveness was answered at Calvary. But he said, the cry for the ability to live as God wants us to live is answered at Pentecost. Because it was at Pentecost that God sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and to be our helper throughout our lives. And so we come to another, and this is the final one we want, I want to talk about, of those, of those provisions that God has made for us. This, the Holy Spirit, is on that banquet table. He lives in us, but we do have to partake of him when we need him. And he's there as one of the provisions. So we're going to look at it, and you might say, well, what on earth has the cross got to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's hope that today the reason becomes more clear and how the Holy Spirit and what Jesus did on the cross are linked. But you say, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that's not new. Surely he was there right from the beginning. And you are right. He's been there right from the beginning of time. He's part of the Trinity. He was there at the creation. He was he, in the Old Testament. He came. We're told he came upon people. We're told he rested on people, 
And there is one bit in the Old Testament where we're told he filled somebody. And it's in Exodus 31. And it's the person who was going to design and create the tabernacle. And God filled that person with his spirit because he was going to create the home, the tabernacle, which was the home of God while the, while the Israelites were in the wilderness and when they settled down throughout the Old Testament. But you know, he didn't stay in them forever. The Holy Spirit was there when they needed him. But he didn't stay in them forever. And we are told he was taken away from Saul. But he came in power on the leaders of, the, of God's people when they needed it. And you know, God's people needed this because they tried so hard, so hard to live for God. In the Old Testament, they'd been given the law. They'd been given the means of sacrifice and repentance for when they broke the law. And they used to go back with this in sorrow and repentance, asking for forgiveness. But do you know what? They could never, ever live that life that the Lord had for them because they lacked the power to do so. And they repeatedly found themselves falling away from God and from his wishes, back into what they wanted to do. But also, in the Old Testament, the prophets predicted a time when things would change. Jeremiah, he predicted that God's law would be written on the hearts of men. It would not just be written on the tablets of stone that it was written on in the Old Testament. And Ezekiel prophesied that there would be a new heart and a new spirit in you. He made, and all this made it possible for you, is going to make it possible for you to follow God's laws. The laws are not just written on something external, they're written inside you. You want to live them. And it's not your old heart and your old self that's doing it. You have a new heart. You have a new life. And it is through that that we can live for Jesus. But you know, these prophecies were fulfilled. Because when the New Testament came along, Jesus came. And when Jesus came, there was a flurry of Holy Spirit activity. He appeared at his birth, he was there at his birth, he was there at his baptism, he was there, he was led into the desert to be tempted. He suddenly, the Holy Spirit was to be seen and to be heard among men. Jesus spent three years with those disciples of his. He lived with them, he taught them, he cared for them, he prayed for them. He was there when they needed him. And they saw him perform many miracles. But when we started this reading at John 14, he'd now come to the time where he was going to be leaving them. This is the Last Supper. And he knows, he knows he's going to leave them. And the thoughts he leaves with them are going to be very important those final thoughts because we remember final thoughts from people and these are very important ones he tried to tell them that he was going to die but actually this was so far out of what the disciples knew that they really couldn't comprehend it but Jesus knew that his death was imminent he knew what, that they'd fall apart when he left what was he going to say to them at this really important time in their lives? Well, in John 14, 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. He was going to send an advocate, a helper, to be with them forever. 
and in 16 verse 7 he says he needs to go for he says I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the advocate will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you is that interesting Jesus needed needed to go away before the Holy Spirit comes he said, if I do not go away, you will not come. But if I do, I will send you. Have you ever wondered why? Why did Jesus actually have to go to his death on the cross before the Holy Spirit could come? Surely he could have sent him to live in us any time. Well, you know, until his death on the cross and his resurrection... The penalty for sin had not been paid. We've talked about this this week. That the penalty was paid by Jesus' death on the cross. And by no other way could that have been done. So before that, there was still a barrier between man and God. Because sin and the penalty for sin had not been dealt with. But Jesus came and Jesus dealt with that penalty and he dealt with that sin that's in us. And so, because of that, we can now be reconciled to God. Justified. Sins forgiven and cleansed. But would God accept the work that Jesus had done on the cross? How could we be sure that God was going to accept this and that Jesus would be accepted back into heaven. After all, he'd taken the sin of the world and the sins of the people with him when he died on that cross. All those sins were in his body on the cross. Would God be able to accept him? He was the sinless, perfect man. He could be in the presence of God, but not when he took those sins on that cross. Then he was, he bore sins. He was tainted by sin. He was sin on that cross. But we know that he rose from the dead. So the penalty was paid and that was accepted. Would he be able to go back to heaven? The answer was a resounding yes. And we know that. We know the punishment of sin is death. We know all sin had been put on him. We know all sin had come under judgment on Jesus when he died on the cross. So we know there was no more sin left in Jesus, on Jesus. And God could let him back into heaven. Now, the followers of Jesus saw all this happening. They saw him go up to heaven. They saw the ascension. And things were different now. And their position had changed completely. Now, our position has changed completely. God now sees us as forgiven sinners. Doesn't see us as, as unforgiven sinners. He sees us as forgiven sinners. He sees us as cleansed sinners. He sees us as people who could approach him with confidence because of what Jesus had done on the cross. And because we're forgiven and because we're cleansed and because he could we could receive that Holy Spirit in our hearts. God saw the cleanness in us. And if we believe in Jesus, there's a cleanness in our hearts that the Holy Spirit can fill. But that cleanness could not be there until Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin and sorted sin out. And their hearts, these people, God's people's hearts, were now pure in the sight of the Lord. And because of this, the Holy Spirit could be sent. Now that is wonderful. Wonderful, isn't it? Because, you know, his people were to become his home on earth. Have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about that? 
God lived in a tabernacle in the old times. That was his home on earth. Now he lives in us. We are God's home on earth. But he could only take up residence in a clean heart. Our old man died on the cross. And now, because of that, we are a new creation. We have new life. We are fit for God. So who are the ones who receive this Holy Spirit? Well, John 7 verse 39 says, Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. Believers in him are to receive this spirit and it will come and live within them forever. So, when we look at the spirit, we often think of the big things that happen. I know I used to go to places and I used to listen to people talking and they would talk about how the Spirit had done this in their lives and the Spirit had done that in their lives. And I would sit there and I would think, it's all right for them. What about me? I haven't had these big things happen to me. No, and yet the Spirit still lives in us. Yet we can be so looking for the big things and it's not wrong to be looking for the big things. But we can be so looking for these experiences, etc., that we forget that God is also with us in the details of our everyday life. So, how does the Holy Spirit work in us? How does he work in the everyday details, the everyday things of life? Well, Titus 3 verse 5 tells us, He saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Nothing to do with what we have done. We're not saved because of any righteousness that we could have done. We are saved through the water of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing it did was it renewed us. It gave us new life. We're born again by the Spirit. And we now have a spiritual life that we didn't have before. That's wonderful. But what does he do? Well, do you know, in Greek, it's called the parakletos. And it's translated in several different ways. Some ways it's in some words it's the comforter. And you know, in times of great need, the spirit can bring us comfort and peace within the storm. I'm sure you've all been there. The storm's in your life, and you've turned to Jesus and he's given you peace. I remember a couple of years ago now, um, my husband had a heart attack. And uh, I mean, it was a mild one. It wasn't, you know, a sort of um, life and death experience, but it felt a bit like it at the time. But it was two days before Good Friday. And on Good Friday, we were due to the, do the open-air service in Windsor. Rich and I were going to do it. And Lombard had a heart attack two days before. It was on April Fool's Day of all days. But do you know what? On Easter Day, uh, on Good Friday, when I was doing the, the, um, the service, Richie was in hospital having the operation. And yet, I was able to do it. I was able to do it. The Spirit gave me the strength and the peace of mind to be able to do that. He did send a text to say it was all right, but me and mobile phones, I didn't pick it up till afterwards. The Spirit gave me strength to do it. And I was talking at the time about how God gives peace in our hearts. And people knew that Richard was in hospital and they were quite... It, they were amazed that I had that peace to be able to do it. 
And look how the Lord can use these things. You know, he is our helper. He helps us in all sorts of situations if we ask him. A few months ago now, we lost our car keys. I can't remember which one of us lost it, but it was probably me. And we searched high and low. We couldn't find them. And then we said, why don't we ask the Lord? Why don't we ask the Lord about these keys? So we turned to the Lord. We hadn't asked him for about three days. We finally went as a last resort. Don't we do that? It's always the last one we turn to. So we prayed about it, and half an hour later, Rich went out. We said, well, they might be in the car. There they were, under the seat. Praise the Lord for finding the keys. I have to tell you, I've lost mine again. And he hasn't found them for us this time. And the bill is going to be astronomical. But never mind, you know, he finds things for us. He does these things. He's our counsellor. He works in our hearts and minds. And do you know what? We don't always know it. I had a friend of mine and she said, I was driving along one day and the Lord, and I always go along one way. She says, it came into my mind to drive another way. When I got home, there'd been an accident on that other road. The Lord speaks to us. The Lord changes our thinking. He is our counsellor. And so often we don't notice these things. So we think, oh, I haven't got a testimony. You know, she thought it wasn't a testimony. But what a testimony she's got. But we forget, don't we? We forget the Lord and the little things. And this is our testimony. He's our advocate. He speaks to me of Jesus. He passes on the words of Jesus to me. And do you know what else he does? He applies them to my personal situation. They're there for the whole world, but they apply to me. And how he does it amazes me. He's our intercessor. He helps us in our weakness. Likewise, the the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with and with sighs too deep for words. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for one another. And you know what? It's not always good that we know the ins and outs of everybody else's situation. If we knew the ins and outs, we might talk to other people about it. And, that, and that's not good. But if we just can take these people to the Lord, all these situations to the Lord... The Spirit prays. He will pray the specifics for us. We don't need to know the specifics. It's enough for us to just take these things to the Lord and the Spirit will do the rest. We just hand that person into the Spirit's keeping and that is the best place he could be. So the Holy Spirit takes the place of Jesus in our lives. But you know, It's not just that he's by our side. He's living in our hearts. He's living in your heart. And he's with us always. And he helps us, as we've been talking about. He helps us in our daily lives. Do you know the help of the Spirit in your daily life? I'm sure if you really looked back, you could see where he had been helping you. You know... He's a great encourager. And uh, I was a bit down, oh, I don't know, it was a few years ago now. I was going to bring something to show you, but I've forgotten it. Never mind. I'll tell you about it. And when we were at the Quinter, I used to do the Bible, the little messages for the staff. I mean, I had a captive audience because it was at breakfast time and they were all so tired because they'd been up till three or four the night before, you know, and working all day. They just used to sit there and look at me. And anybody who knows me would know that in the morning I'm just the same. So we were a bit of a motley crew. But we used to do this every morning and at breakfast and I came home and by about November time I was a bit down and I was getting a bit miserable. And the post came one day. And in the post was a card. 
a, a hand-drawn card of this person and it had been signed by a lot of people and it was the young people that I used to do the, the morning messages with at breakfast. It was just a card saying, thank you for all you've done for us. It was really, it was really nice. And it was such an encouragement for me three months later for this to arrive on my doorstep. See how the Lord encourages us? The Spirit works in in seemingly small ways, but they have such an effect on us. He guides our lives. He will tell us what to do. And you know, sometimes he speaks specifically through the word. And he spoke to me through the word a few weeks ago because we've moved house. And um, the Lord called us to move and it wasn't easy move for us because of we'd been settled where we were. So we followed the Lord's guidance and we moved. And a few weeks ago, things were, you know... Makes me sound awful, really. Things were getting me down again. Um, things were going. We haven't settled really. We, you know, we've still not got fellowship. Um, then I got cataracts, which I've got to have removed. But you know, I found out about it, and I'm thinking, oh, why did we move? Are you sure? You know, you do when you things are going wrong. Are you sure it was right for His Lord? And I, at that time, I was looking at talking about Peter walking out on the water. And the Lord said to Peter, O thou of little faith. And the Lord said to me, O thou of little faith, I called you to do this. Why do you doubt? And it so spoke to my heart. It reassured me of God's calling and it lifted me out of doubt and, and uncertainty and maudlingness, really. I was getting a bit maudling. It lifted me out of that. See how the Lord can speak through his word? How about circumstances? Have you ever known him work through circumstances? I tell you what, last week when I was thinking about these Bible readings... I pushed a button on my computer and I thought I'd lost all my notes. Oh! It was awful. I was just distraught. And I came in here and I was telling the people at the prayer meeting, etc., etc. And Kevin, who was there, he said, Don't worry, he said. It's all written there. Because you've written it, it's up in here. And the Lord will bring it out when he needs to. So I went back, it really calmed me, and it gave me peace, that something, and it was a person who he'd used. I went back and I wrote out my notes again. I found them that night. And do you know what, what I'd written previously was rubbish? <laughs> you know, and you have to say, thank you, Lord, for causing me to rewrite them. You don't think that, do you, when it happens? I certainly didn't think that when I thought they'd all gone. It was panic stations for a while. But afterwards you can look back and you can think, well, I didn't like it at the time, Lord, but it was for the best for me. And when he wants things to change, he'll unsettle you. You know, you think we thought we got our roots deep down in Windsor, but he began to unsettle us. And our roots were unsettled. And by the time we came to move, we were ready to move. And yet we thought we'd never, ever move from there. But the Lord moved us on. How about when he prevents us from doing things? You know, I think that's really important. Because he did that for Paul. Paul, and I can't remember who was with him, were going through Phrygia and Galatia. And it says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Lord had stopped them from doing something. I just praise the Lord that he stops us.
from doing things. Because if I was left to my own devices, I'm sure I'd do lots of things that wouldn't reflect Jesus in my life. And do you know what? It's not always what I do. It's what I say that the Lord has to put his finger on. Because I open my mouth and things fall out of it. And do you know what? I know I've hurt people. And you can't take it back. Once it's fallen out and somebody's heard it, you can't take it back. But if you're listening for that little voice of the Holy Spirit, and you open your mouth and suddenly you don't. Don't. Sometimes we don't listen. But when you hear that little voice saying, don't, pay attention. Because if you don't pay attention, you will say or do something that you will regret later. Ooh, where have I got to? So Jesus, I don't know where I've got to in the notes. Let me have a look. Here we go. And the other thing that Jesus does is he comforts us in time of need. I've told you about the time when I needed it when Richie was, was ill. So he lives in us and he helps us in any way he can. Do you need guidance? The Lord will be your guide. Do you need help in times of weakness? The Lord will be your helper. Do you need comfort in situations that just get you down or seem out of your control? The Lord will be your comforter. It's the Holy Spirit who does the Lord's work in you. Do you need encouragement? The Holy Spirit will be your encourager for that time. But you know, if we go back to, to the reading, John 14 verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Well, if, you know, John 2, 1 says Jesus is our advocate in heaven. He speaks for us in heaven. And that's what an advocate does. He looks after us, our interests in the law court, and he speaks on our behalf. But that's what Jesus is doing in heaven. But he said, I will send you another, another advocate. He sends us the Holy Spirit. And what does this Holy Spirit do? He takes up residence in us and he speaks to us on behalf of Jesus. The Spirit is speaking to us on behalf of Jesus. And he comes alongside us to give us the power to do what Jesus says. So Jesus is up in heaven and he's looking after the believers, repentant believers' interests in heaven. But the Holy Spirit is looking after Jesus' interest in the believer. Because he's saying to us what Jesus would have said to us if he'd been here. So how does he do that? Verse 18, I will not leave you orphaned, I am coming to you. He comes to us, lives in us. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. It's Jesus living in us. And he does that for us. And verse 25 says, I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of all I have said to you. The Spirit He's going to teach us everything about Jesus. He's going to remind us of the things that Jesus said to us. You know, when Kerry Ten Boom was in the, um, in the concentration camps in, um, in the war, she had no Bible. She had no way of hearing, uh, of finding out what God had said. But she'd read her Bible and she'd learned about God and when she was in the concentration camps, the Lord brought the things she'd learnt back to, into her memory to be her comfort, to still speak to her, to encourage her. 
and she said in one of her books, she says, when you read God's word, he hangs these things up in the wardrobe of your mind. You might not remember these things, but they're hanging there. Like Kevin said to me, they're hanging there in the wardrobe of your mind. He said, and when you read it, the Lord will bring up that particular thing. So true. So true that that's what he does. We think we know nothing, but we know there's a lot in there that the Lord has put in there, just ready to bring out when we need it. So he teaches, all, he teaches us all we need to know about God and Jesus. And the help we need is going to be different. It's different when you're suffering. It's different when you're being tempted. It's different when you're convicted of sin. It's different when you're full of joy. But he's there in every situation. And he's there for your particular situation. He speaks to your heart. You know, and, and that's what he does. When we were due to leave, he spoke to leave Windsor. He spoke particularly to us. Because we were asking him whether we should leave. And we didn't know. And we got a verse from Abraham. And the verses that really spoke to us, the, the words that really spoke to us were, leave your father's house and your family. Now to understand why that is specific to us, you have to understand or know that Rich's dad built the house we were living in. So leave your father's house was a specific word to us and your family. We had girls back there. You know, and we were told to leave your father's house, leave your family. It was very specific wording for us. And that's what the Lord does. But in all this, he is glorifying Jesus. It's also called the spirit of truth. Now, what does he do? Well, he tells us the truth about ourselves. We don't always like that. We don't like to know sometimes the truth about ourselves, but he never leaves us wallowing in the truth about ourselves. He always points us to the truth about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. So if the spirit of truth begins to pick on a little part in you that is not exactly as Jesus would want it, turn to Jesus, because that's where the spirit will point you. You know, in our lives, there are lots of different things in our hearts and in our minds that the Lord wants to clean up and wants to take possession of. And I remember years ago, watching on television, an, an adaptation of Great Expectations. And in Great Expectations, Miss Havisham is living in a house that's had the curtains closed, and she's never had visitors, she's never had anybody in, and then Pip turns up. And he goes into this room, and he opens the door, and the curtains are open, and what can you see? The dust, the dirt, the filth that had accrued. The light of the Holy Spirit will shine on your life and it will show not only the good things but it will show the dirt that is in there as well we've got to be prepared for that but we've looked this week about what what we do with the dirt in our lives we take it to Jesus and it is cleansed so God's way of working in us is not to improve the old man in our lives but it's to impart another life. And the other life is his spirit. So he's getting rid of the old man. And as we take that to the cross and get it cleansed, the spirit fills even more in our lives. We don't always see it, but that's what's happening. Our life should reflect that. I was in a, a care home once, and I was talking to one of the old ladies there. And... Um, she was saying that she had been a Christian. But, she said, she turned away from the Lord because she couldn't see the Holy Spirit at work. It wasn't a visible thing, and she wanted it to be a visible thing. But then she said, 
who claimed the people in Winton House were, which is the place I was. I've never been in a care home where the staff are as kind as this, she said. And I said, well, I know that all these staff here are Christians. I said, and what you are seeing is the Holy Spirit at work. It's not a visible thing that sort of comes down in front of you, but she could see the Holy Spirit by the kindness of the people towards her and the atmosphere in the building. And that is so often how the Holy Spirit can be felt by people, by the kindness towards them and the atmosphere within the group, the church, the fellowship, whatever it is. The Holy Spirit can alter all that. But you know, the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. He really wants to fill us. He enters our hearts. He fills as much of our lives as we let him. There's an endless supply of the Holy Spirit for us. But how much he fills is down to us. A few weeks ago on television in Cornwall, there was a flood. And one of the villagers, the coastal villagers, got flooded out. You, you might have seen it on, on, on the main news. The water poured down the valley and it seeped through every nook and cranny that it could get through. But do you know what? It couldn't get through any sandbags or any walls that were well blocked. Now, the Holy Spirit's like that. He comes into our life and he wants to flow down into us. But if we block him, he can't get in. If there's sin in our lives, it blocks him. If there's an unwillingness in our life to let him in, it blocks him. It's down to us to sort that out. He will fill the areas of, the, of our lives that we let him. But you know, sin and uncleanness, unwillingness to surrender to him, wanting to keep control of certain parts of our lives, is going to prevent us from being filled with the Spirit. God desperately wants us to fill us with the Spirit. Do we stop him? Do we block him? Do we prevent him from being able to fill us? It says that we can grieve the Spirit. Grieve is a, a love word, really. You grieve the people you love. And you know, if anything unchristlike enters our life, enters our life, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we say yes to the voice of self or Satan and go our own way and not his, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we do not heed his voice, when he's telling us about what's happened and he points us back to Jesus and we don't hear him or we ignore him, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So easy for us to do. So easy. And it's then that we need the Spirit to break me, melt me, mould me, fill me. But we can also quench the Holy Spirit. And it's not the meaning that we have of quench your thirst when you get really thirsty. It's the meaning of putting out a fire. Like, you know, like the firemen do, they quench the fire. And that's when we say no to God's voice. When he's asking us to do something for him. When he's asking us to come to him. And we say no. We quench the Holy Spirit. It's deliberately going our own way and not his. And then we cease to walk with him. And we wonder why our spiritual lives seem to have lost their sparkle. Could it be because we've quenched or grieved the Holy Spirit? You know, we've got to listen for the Spirit, the quiet voice of the Spirit speaking in our hearts. You know, and if we don't hear the quiet voice, 
he could make something awful happen to us and we knew that got the loud voice speaking to us. Hear the quiet voice. Take heed because you will not suffer as much if you hear that voice to start with. So the saying of this indwelling Holy Spirit was the final provision I want to talk about this week because it gives us the power to live the new life in Christ. It tells us all what Jesus would if he was here with us. It gives us all the gifts we need in the church to do Jesus' continually work on earth. And it shows us our need of the cross when we're living according to the self and not according to the Spirit. But if we want to know him in all his fullness, then we've got to walk with him and not go our own way. You know, God has given us two wonderful gifts. He's given us Jesus and he's given us the Holy Spirit. And these gifts give us all we need to enable us to walk in victory with him. When Jesus gave his son, when God gave his son and gave his spirit, he gave us everything he has to give. He has no more to give. It's all there for us. He has set a table before us. But we need partake of it as we walk. Now, he's set a feast before you, but he can't compel you to eat. He's opened the door into an abundant life. But he can't compel you to enter. God has done his part. We've got to do ours. We've got to listen to him. We've got to submit to him. We've got to yield our will to him. And we've got to turn to the cross if that is what we need to do. Are we willing to do that? And I started with a quote from Billy Graham, and I'm going to finish with a quote from Billy Graham. And this is your first question on a bit of paper. It says, The question is not how much we have of the Holy Spirit, but how much does the Holy Spirit have of us? That's quite profound. And that is going to be question number one. I'm sorry, I went on a bit long. <laughs> However, 